I am Mike Cadlick, joined by Alex Barth, as always, from 98.5 The Sports Hub. We are here previewing Patriots at Cardinals coming up this Monday night uh, on ESPN. Our first look uh, as Patriots covering uh, or covering the Patriots with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call for ESPN. So uh, should be an interesting one. Uh, we usually start with news, but things have been pretty straightforward down at Gillette this week. Uh, me and Alex just got back from Foxborough a little while ago. Things seem to be looser down there for sure. Um, the guys were giving us a lot today. Um, At least with the I defense. Think, yeah, I think it's it's got to be a you know these guys getting off of a three games in twelve days type thing. They had a little bit of a mini bye week here, and you know kind of getting back after it. Uh, so things were loosened up a little bit. But uh, as far as newsy, uh, nothing really besides injuries, which we'll get into uh, as we preview this thing. So let's get right into it and talk Patriots offense versus Cardinals defense. Um, I don't know, Alex. I still have zero faith in this Patriots offense right now after scoring just 10 points against Buffalo. Um, even though the Cardinals do have the second worst offense in the league as far as points per game goes, and they also have the, the worst offense in points per game at home. So they're at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. They can't seem to stop a nosebleed in their own place, but Again, this Patriots offense just not great. Mac uh, gave us some comments today, talked about their togetherness, and sort of that's what he thinks is the best thing about them. So it's not the scheme. It's not how they score points. It's not their run game. It's not their pass game. It's not how they protect. It's that they play together, which I guess is one thing, but they got to do something on the field. So how do you see it happening against the Cardinals? Well, you know, I, I thought that was an interesting comment because it – it sort of enforces this idea that there's some sort of divide between the players and the coaching staff and the players haven't quit right. on each other and they haven't quit on the organization. Like there's still, I don't think anybody, at least in terms of the skill position players, I don't think anybody's checked out. Right. Right. But I think there is frustration in Max say, saying that, you know, we're all sticking together. And I, he had another quote, something along the lines, of like we know we have the talent to, we know we have the ability on the field, something like that. It's on my Twitter to score points. Well, okay. So then what's wrong? And I, you know, I thought it was really interesting. Vance Joseph said something today that I think we've all been thinking. And if you don't know, Vance Joseph is now the defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. And this is what he said earlier today when he was asked about the Patriots offense. It's like a defensive guy is calling the offense. It's like a defensive guy would call plays. Let's not turn the ball over. Let's get four yards of play and try to burn clock. That's what they're doing, and that's what they're going to do on Monday night. He, being Matt Patricia, is going to be patient, may take a shot from time to time, but for the most part, it's running game, quick game, and screens. Yeah, he nailed it. He freaking nailed it, Vance Joseph did. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's what Mac was yelling about the other night with the, the quick game sucks, all of it. As long as that element's in play, you know, it, it's all up for grabs because, yes, I I think there is a level of importance, right, in not turning the ball over, in being efficient, in trying to extend. Right? That's obviously all a part of it. But if you can't score points doing that, if those are your only concerns without putting points on the board, it doesn't do you any good. And – those first three games were the polar opposite. They're just shooting the ball down the field. Max throwing a ton of picks, and they didn't seem to care. They've overcorrected in this other direction now, and they just seem to feel like, at least 
from a game plan level, I'm not saying the players feel like this, but from a game plan level, if they don't turn the ball over, they're happy and that their right. defense will do enough to win them the game. They'll they'll get them enough short fields. They can get in field goal position and win games 12 to 3, 12 to 6, 15, whatever, right? Right. And that's just not – you're not going to win as many games that way as they maybe think they are. They can win some because this defense is really freaking good, but not enough. Right. Well, even – Talk about just the way they've kind of changed their offense and, you know, how they're running it from where they were at the beginning to where they were, where they are now. Right. And you right. talk about those deep shots they took and then they pulled the, the, the zappy thing happened. And, you know, there was clear, there was clearly like a, a fork in the road moment in this season where, you know, the quarterbacks have them, but they stuck with Mac, but they still weren't calling the playbook, you know, correctly, if you will, as to, you know, the strengths of the offense. But then you got to the Vikings game. And it sort of seemed like they started to do it again, take some shots and pick on the Vikings defense. And I'm sort of comparing that to this game because the Vikings' de- uh, weakness on defense was their corners. And I think that's the weakness of this Cardinals uh, defense as well. I mean, they have some studs up front, you know, the J.J. Watt, right? Zach Allen has, is, leads them in sacks. In the middle, they have, you know, we talk about the three levels. In the middle, they have Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. And then in the back end, they have Buda Baker, who's a stud safety but their corners are weak byron murphy didn't practice today and then their other starter is marco wilson who i've barely heard of until sort of checking out this team this week you've heard of marco wilson you ever watch uh florida football you watch the florida lsu game in 2020 yeah okay yep marco wilson do you remember so that was like a big game i don't remember who the ranked team was one of them was ranked florida lsu it was Florida. Florida. Florida because it was Kyle Trask. Right. Florida's ranked. This was like a big game. They're going to have a shot to make the SC championship, shot to make the playoff. And LSU starts going on this late drive, and they have them stopped. And there's video of this online, by the way. If you type in Marco Wilson, you'll find it. <laughs> this is like late, late in the game. I think they were under two minutes ago. Marco Wilson makes the tackle on a third down, stopped the guy short of the sticks. Florida was either going to have to go for it way backed up, or sorry, LSU was either going to have to go for a way back to upper punt. But when Marco Wilson makes a tackle, he pulls the guy's shoe up. He gets up and in celebration, he whips the shoe like 40 yards downfield. Oh, yeah. Paul Griffin, okay. sportsmanlike. Yep. LSU finishes the drive. Kate York kicked a long, I mean, yep. he, he kicked a long ass field goal. I don't remember how long it was. It was an impressive field goal. It was like a rainy, drizzly, gray night, whatever. But potentially the moment of the, like, Marco Wilson, okay. shoe. So, so that's the first Marco thing Wilson. I think of. Yes. Okay. Well, that's so Marco have, Wilson. I do have an idea of him. Now I'm putting it together. It do you remember that play? Like you, you yes, must I remember do. that play. Everybody yeah, I do. Now that, that. Yeah, yeah, now that you say it. It was the COVID year. Yeah, right. So um, if Marco Wilson's going to tackle you, see if he'll get your shoe off. Like like right. loose laces this week. Loose laces. Well, that being said, right, that's what you think of when you think of Marco Wilson. You don't think he was playing the NFL. He was a fourth right. round pick the following season. It's clearly their weakness on defense, and uh, it's the reason that you know teams are scoring the, a league most twenty four touchdown passes on them through twelve weeks. Um, so I think that just in saying that they need to attack this game similarly to how they did the Vikings game. They just need to stop them on the other end of the ball as well. It's going to be tough talking about injuries now. Um, Jacoby Myers is in concussion protocol. Yeah, they play Monday, not Sunday, and right now it's Thursday. That was. Three days, three days of the week in, in four words. So you get what I'm saying, though. Um, so he's going to have another day to potentially clear it. Don't know if it'll happen. Well, Trip the thing Brown's, about that is yeah. they're leaving Saturday. Right. 
And if he has a concussion, I would assume he can't fly. So if you have a concussion, you're not supposed to fly. So could they fly him out Sunday if he clears on Sunday? Could they fly him out Monday morning? Yes. Yeah. But it just adds – there is another layer there. Right. right? He's important right. He's important enough where I think they fly him out. I Monday think they would, but it, 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 it adds a complication to it where our – I don't know how the extra day maybe doesn't mean as much as it normally would. Right. No, that, that's that's a good point. Right. Um, there's also honestly there's jet lagged involved in that as well if he flies on Monday. Yeah. Um, oh, you don't so, want like you don't necessarily want a guy playing in a game who hasn't practiced all week and then was on a cross country flight that day. Exactly. Like that's a some mat. And I'm not saying Jacoby wouldn't do it if they asked him. I think he would. The guy's a gamer. Right. That's a massive ask. Yeah. Of a guy. So, so yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll. I mean, we'll see what happens there. That's. I mean, that's Max Guy this season, uh, leading receiver. He's dealing with the concussion, um, pro- troubles on the offensive line as well. Trent Brown is still sick, missed today with an illness, and Isaiah Wynn is still out with a foot, and Yannick Just was limited with a back and calf. So, the only fully healthy offensive lineman uh, from the tackle position is Connor McDermott right now. Um, so, it's going to be tough to keep Mac upright again this week. Yeah, it, it, and this is a team that blitzes a lot, third, just over 35% of the time. Yeah, Mac talked about the, that today. The third highest blitz rate in the league. You know, it's missed, It's with mixed results. Uh, their their pressure rate is fifth in the league. It's, a, I want to say, 24%, 25%. Sacks, they're more middle of the pack. But Mac has, and, and I'm somebody who's defended Mac a ton, right, yeah. and said that, you know, He's probably gotten too much crap for what's happened this season. The one thing I will say, he's not been good under pressure. He's not. And even if the offensive line's better and the coaching's better, you're just, any quarterback's going to need to be able to make some throws under pressure. His passer rating, I have the exact numbers here somewhere. It's a monumental difference, according to PFF, under pressure versus not. And I'm going to pull it up here, but it's like a 70-point difference. When he's under pressure, not I'm gonna stall here for another second while this loads. Yes. So Mac Jones passer rating, clean pocket is 105, 105. That's excellent. Yeah. That's like 90-ish, like 90 low 90s is considered average to above average. 105 is a really good number. Right. It means when he can make a play, he does make a play. When he's under pressure, passer rating drops, passer rating drops to 29.2 which is, I think, an incompletion. Like, if you just throw straight incompletions, your passer rating's like 32. Yeah. <laughs> so he'd be better off spiking the ball into the ground every time he's under pressure. Right. Um, yeah, they and, – and that's because the touchdown-to-interception ratio under pressure is 1-5. to five. Yep. They need to get it blocked. And you talk about the weakness of the Cardinals' defense is those corners, and I, this isn't a very good Cardinals' defense, but – you got Zach Allen on one side, who's having a great year from Boston yep. College. And then on the other side, future Hall of Famer in J.J. Exactly. Watt, who has six and a half sacks this year, leads the team. This is a – I felt a lot better about this game before the injury report came out today. Uh-huh. And it's not just a Jacoby Myers thing. Obviously, he's part of it, for sure. Right. I mean, he's their best receiver. He's missed two games. He's still their leading receiver. Yeah, but crazy. You need to be able to block on the edge in this game. You need to, and they're going to be. They only have one healthy tackle because when Brown didn't practice, like you said, Kajust is limited. Yeah, he's got two injuries, a back and a calf. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're down to Connor McDermott, and then 
They have attack on the practice squad. Yeah, he's I can't think of his need, name. But he's a converted tight end. He weighs 260 pounds, so he's out, right? Yep. Now you're talking about moving James Ferentz back out there. They're clearly not going to move Mike Gwenwenu out there, so we, we don't even need to talk about it. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a major problem if they can't block on the edge. And so what do you do? Well, you have to throw off the, the timing of the pass rush with play calls that make them think twice about pinning your ears back. That's play action. That's draw. That's it's draws. It's screens. It's RPOs. It's pre-snap motion. It's end arounds. It's all of the things that we're all red in the face calling for them to do for the last three months. So right. bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting for football and basketball this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet online. Always your continued source for sports wagering information. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf games and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. They, they need it. I'm not saying they can't win the game. Like, they can. I really think they can. Sure. But- they can't if they continue to bash their head against the wall like they have really the last two months. The Vikings game's the exception, but you go back to when Matt came back, and it's mm-hmm. it's more or less been the same offense since then. That offense doesn't get it done in this game. Nope. Well, I, I'm looking now at the practice squad. It's Hunter Tedford, who is Hunter actually Tedford, list, yeah. he's actually listed as a tight end on the practice squad. He's not oh, even is he, he was as listed tackle. as a tackle at one point. Okay. He's a tight end that wears number 68. So, I mean, he okay. is their emergency tackle. Um you have Bill Murray if you have to, but he's a guard. I don't know. He's a he's, guard. Well, but then you bump up on win, bump out on winner. They're not going to do point. it though. They're not I know. Gonna, like it, once I saw them put James Ferentz out there in warmups, yeah, for the Jets game or the Bills game or whatever it was, the Bills game, right? Own winner's not happening because that's just such an absurd concept that there's something, and, and I know what it is. Right? He's been their I only consistent player on the line. He's been the well, only player that's played every every snap at guard. Right. It's not just that. They want to – they moved him around a lot his first two years, and they yeah. talked heading into this year and during this year about wanting him to stay in one spot and develop, and I get that. And I, I was calling for that last year. I said, stop moving the poor guy around. Pick a spot. I think right. it should be tackle. I think he's a better tackle. I think there's more value. And having him at right tackle, but if it's guard, fine. He's a very good guard. He's an excellent guard, and, and I'm all I'm all for that. Don't think around with it. Leave him there. But one game when you got to have it, moving him to tackle, right? I mean, at that point, we're 15 games in. He's developed a guard. Okay, you move right. him out to tackle for one game. You move him back next week. That's the end of that. I don't think that's asking too much. I don't think. It's not like they're moving them all to all these different positions every different week. That was a problem, and they stopped doing it, which is good. Right. But it's almost incredible how far they've gone to the other extreme. Well, Ferentz on the outside during warm-ups last week also, it it felt like it. It's what we kind of imagined it would be during warm-ups. And all it was was a placeholder because Trent ended up playing the game. Um, But it also showed you who the next guy is. Yeah, in theory, but it also, yeah. Um, Why would they put him there if he wasn't the next guy? Like, because, I understand they needed somebody to step in for Trent. Right. Why wouldn't they have had his actual backup do it? That's a fair point. I, in, I, unless I just, James, 
and, and look, maybe, you know, they, maybe it's something where they, they move McDermott. Right. But st- like, yeah. there's clearly some permutation where James Ferentz comes in and tackle. But if they need to, Michael and Wenu out there, that, that I have a hard exists. time believing that. I don't, I really don't think so. I think that they, Mike, we've been, we've been through this when they, they show you something, yet. but they did, but they did. Okay, to keep on Wenu at guard. And, and that's what I'm saying. Why, if they were going to do it in warmups, why would they, they do Trump it that was way? Because they knew Trent was going to play. But he could get hurt. He could not finish the game. Why right. wouldn't they want to hide his backup? They don't want to show us who his backup is. No, like, they just want to keep on Wendell Gardner in the starting lineup. It's semantics. I'm an, I, I, I fully think if they needed to piece together an offensive line for the rest of an entire game slash the next week, I think they would, they would you know, suck it up and move on Wendell out there. Because James Ferris has never even – he's rarely played guard. He's only a center. Never mind bumping him out two positions to tackle. I feel like that's kind of crazy. I just – I, I, I can't I, put you know how I past these guys at this point either. So. You, you, right. Exactly. And you know how I feel about this. When they show you yeah. something, I think you got to take right. it at face value. And Shout they could have moved on when out there with the, like, cause they run that second unit through too. Right. And they didn't right. even put a tackle out there. They were Michael on when standing back there with the first team. And when the second unit went, it was only four guys. They didn't even right. put a tackle out there. They could have easily told on when just warm up with both units. Yeah, they didn't stand even there. do that. So, I don't totally discount what you're saying. I don't think this is as extreme as the Jelani Tavai thing where Bill Belichick no. literally said he's going to play a big role for us. Right. But they didn't put James Ferentz out there at tackling warmups with there being a 0% chance he ever plays there. That's a fair I point. Just don't it's think just that. a disaster. But regardless, I'm of the mindset that they're just being cautious with Trenton. He's going to end up playing on Monday. Um He's been sick for three weeks. I don't know if he's just fatigued. It wasn't listed as COVID. Obviously, he played and he's been around the facility. So it's not, you know, there's no, I guess, contagiousness issue there, uh, if you will. So he's probably just getting his bearings still. And I think he's going to end up playing. Um, I see in the chat, too, just talking about the guard position. You, you, it's it's uh, revisionist history, but talking about guys like Ted Karras and Shaq Mason, they would just be perfect to have here in this situation. I know they're they're both guards, but it's it makes it easier, right? If they are here, you have more of an incentive to move on Wenu outside because you know a guy on the inside can well, play and you know when Wenu can play outside. That's what I wanted them to do. I, I wanted right. them to keep one of them. Well, right. I mean, I wanted them to – I said, let Karras go. I didn't even realize moving on from Shaq Mason was an option. But I would right, even say – Because on Wenu really isn't – he's a right guard in their system. Like he can play left, but you want him on the right side. Right. You know – if you keep what I wanted is keep, we'll call it Karis now that we know the full picture. Keep Karis, fine. Trade Shaq Mason, put on Wenu in a, uh, or no, sorry, keep both of them. Move on Wenu out to right tackle. Get rid you, of Isaiah Wynn. You either don't pay Trent and you do the last right. year with Isaiah Wynn, right? Or you you pay Trent and then you can trade Isaiah Wynn when his value is high in the offseason. Right. Um, like it, it's revisionist history, but it isn't. To me, revisionist history is, you know, going back to the moment and, and like using information we didn't have at the time. Right. So right. Um, I'm trying to think of an example like um, how could you pass on Tom Brady? Let him get to Well, we didn't know. Nobody knew. Right. 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 I was trying to think of a draft example um, or or even honestly, honestly, a guy like Nikhil Harry. 
that pick yeah. wasn't as bad at the time. It wasn't the best pick. There were better receivers on the board, but sure. or or another like Sony Michelle over Lamar Jackson. There were so many questions about Lamar Jackson coming out, right? Right. But this is we were saying at the time, this is a mistake to let right. both of your starting guards go. That's not revisionist history. Right. It was a mistake to let both their starting guards go, and now they're feeling it. And it's now happening. they are yeah. truly feeling it. Yeah. Right. So. Again, yeah, it's it's tough. The line's banged up. Max got to stay upright. Uh, like you said, his uh, his passer rating crashes down once pressure comes, and it's not going to get any better because you know we've talked about it uh, for weeks, months, really now on the show is just that internal clock, right? And if you're yeah. constantly getting pressure, you're never going to be able to you know find your way to adjust and you know hit the reads and right. You talk about blitzing. That the simplest way to put you know. I'm blanking on the word, but like adjusting to a blitz, right? Middle linebacker comes, you have a hot read, throw right off him. He's gone. Throw into the blitz. You're right. Throw into the blitz. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, that ease of, oh, they're blitzing. He's coming. Like that doesn't happen when your line's in complete shambles because you can't really read anything. And so I I don't, uh, I forget who asked it this afternoon, but um, talking to Mac and saying, you said that this offense can be fixed. You still think it can be fixed. And Max says, yes, I, I don't see it being fixed this season at all. And it came up earlier this, this week with Belichick and he said, they're not going to make a change. It's just, you just got to get to the finish line here. And whether you make the playoffs or not, it's like, even if they do make a change, I don't think anything's going to really change until the off season. Well, the other problem here, and by the way, I, I, I was all for just, getting it done with Patricia and get to the off season. But the thing about that clock is that can be irreversible yeah. if it gets bad enough. And right. the bills game was where I kind of flipped from how bad can it really get? Just get to the off season and revisit it to, Oh, you might need to get this guy out of here now. Right. Like how much more damage can be done in five weeks? The other problem is, and, and I don't want to say this hasn't gotten talked about. I think it gets glossed over in the, overall discussion of the offense. Sure. They, and they would say it's all the same system and to an extent it is, but they've basically run four offenses in the last, what, seven months, six months, right? Because there was the training camp wide zone offense. It didn't work. They got rid. They ditched that towards the end of camp. Then you had that bombs away offense yep. that they ran for the first three weeks that didn't work. Well, worked better. Then you had the Bailey Zappi offense, which did work and was the offense they ran last year and yep. would work which got for them Mac to the playoffs. Too. Right, right. And then Mac came back, and now they're doing the the what Vance Joseph described. Right, that you can tell a defensive coordinator is calling right. it offense. Just so get, just get us out of here. <laughs> when like, you talk about flight. Right. When you talk about the clock, the internal clock, pressure is a big part of that. Another thing that can impact that is just an uncomfortability with what you're running, right? 100%. Not yep. knowing what you're – not being totally confident in your reads, not being totally confident in the assignments, all of that. And if you're on your fourth offense in six months, you're probably uncomfortable with it. Right. Like, that timing this is either. It's there's there are things that you need the month or two of training camp to build out that you're coming back from an injury and instantly just thrown into. Right. So I I think when we talk about the clock, the pressure is a part of it, and that's a part of it as well. And that's something that 
again, I don't want to say nobody's talking about it. I, I think it's, I think people maybe are blowing right by it, right? Because we already did the offensive system talk. That's all we did all summer. That now right. we're on to the offensive line and run of the play calling and blah, blah, blah. And I get it. I'm not saying any of that's not right. worth talking about. But this offense, they're, we'll call it offensive identity. Because I know if you said system, they would say, well, it's always been the same system. It's right. Eric, it's, it, you know, it's Eric Perkins and blah, 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 and whatever. And, and we have our, their offensive identity has changed four times in six months. That is very aggressive. That it's is obsessed. a lot to ask of anybody. Forget a second year quarterback behind a brand new offensive line. Right. I agree. And, you know, you talk about managing a bunch of different offenses. Let's talk about managing a bunch of different subscriptions really fast. We'll talk about our friends over at Rocket Money. Uh, do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? You probably don't, as, you know, crazy stat 80% of people have subscriptions that they completely forget about. Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on their subscriptions, whether that be, you know, those Amazon Prime accounts or Hulu accounts, uh, whatever they are. ESPN Plus, um, that number is actually closer to $200, not $80. Um, but regardless of what the number is, it's draining your bank account and you're wasting hundreds of dollars a month on subscriptions that you literally don't even know about. I don't do that anymore because I use Rocket Money. It's an app that I love I love using and it takes care of all of it. It used to be called Truebill. The app shows you all of your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for cancels whatever subscriptions you want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for at all. You may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel, all you have to do is press the cancel button and Rocket Money will take care of the rest. Get rid of your useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash patsbeat. Seriously, like I said, it could save you hundreds of dollars a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash, slash patsbeat. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash patsbeat. You'll see it in the lower third there, rocketmoney.com slash patsbeat. Cancel all those subscriptions today. The Patriots should cancel all but one offensive identity, uh, but they haven't done that, right? And so it's uh, it's a disaster. Maybe if they go to rocketmoney.com slash patsbeat, they can figure out a way to do it. But it's tough, and it's no way to treat your second-year quarterback. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's the basis of it, right? I mean, you talk about more so attacking this Cardinals offense, um, Cardinals defense, excuse me, um, and attacking those corners. But I also look at the run game where their run defense is so-so. Um, they allow 4.6 yards per carry, which is like right in the middle of the, uh, right in the middle of the NFL. I guess, like you mentioned, you try and establish the run with Ramondre if you can so that you don't have to necessarily rely on the pass, but you establish that run so that you can work off it and work those play actions. That's the goal, and that's the offense that works for the Patriots that's worked here for the last 20 years. It worked with Zappi. It worked last season with Mac. They just avoided it with Mac, and I don't really know why. It could be game plan specific. It could be the fact that they go down earlier in games. They've gone down earlier in games with Mac, but it's what you got to do here and establish the run, start it like that, and then it's tough because Damian's out, but you got to rely on Ramondre. I, one other point on the offense too. Yeah. The Cardinals are, I'm going to pull up my numbers again, um, which are in a different, I, I really should like prepare for this. Not, not, I do prepare, but you know what I mean? I should have all my windows open. I need to have open. Cardinals are a uh, 68% team in the red zone defensively, 45% on third downs. Those both rank in the bottom five of the league. Third down. Red zone. Those are the two areas the Patriots offense more than anything else have struggled this year. Yep. They had 
whatever it is, 10, 11 days to prepare for this game. If they can't figure it out this week, it's not happening. It's not like they should win situationally this week. They should win on third downs. They should win in the red zone this week. There's no excuse not to. Yeah, I agree. Um, We can wrap the offense. Uh, Anything else? I mean, again, it's, there's a lot of injuries there, Um, but I think that play Taekwon, especially yeah, if Jacoby can't go, man, it took, those... they took him in the 50th round. They were clearly comfortable with him playing earlier in the year. He was, you know, between 60 and 70% usage rate. Uh, pretty much once he came off IR through the buy since the buy, he's been under 40 in yep. all three games. I think he was 39 last week. It was 27 the week before that. You got to put him out there and play him. Like they yep. took him 50th overall for a reason. I, he, he showed it in camp. I don't know if they don't think he's NFL ready. I think he's NFL ready. Not necessarily like superstar NFL ready, but I think he can be a contributing receiver in an, in an NFL offense. And it's it's time, basically it's time to figure out whether he can or he can't. They used him so, in the Browns game. And that was his best game. And that they really haven't since then. He's been, I know, he it's was bizarre. on the field a lot, but they didn't throw to him. And now he's yeah. not even on the field as much anymore. So it's, I think he should play more regardless yeah. but if Jacoby can't go I we, we got to get a good look at him we'll see I mean again you got to do it you got to get the speed out there I I understood last week the gadget stuff with uh, Marcus Jones but if you're going to use speed do it with Taekwon um so that's out of the offense let's move to or you defense. could do both or you could put yeah, those two and <laughs> right. Nelson Aguilar on the field and there's really not a defense that can defend all that speed like that's an insane amount of speed on the field which we haven't been able to say about a Patriots offense in a long time. And sure, one guy's a corner. But that that's no, a mismatch. True. Like, that's right. creating a mismatch. And that's what you, you, you want to try to do on offense. You want to try to create situations, whether it's skill sets within a package or route combinations that, that put certain players in conflict. You want to create mismatches for the defense and force them to choose. That's basically what it is. And an offensive package, even if you only use it five or six times a game, Right. An offensive package of Nelson Aguilar, Marcus Jones, and Tyquan Thornton, you don't necessarily need to scheme it up super complicated because the defense just needs to be able to run with those guys. And there's not a lot of defenses that have the personnel that can. And if they're going to try to, like the way you're going to counter that is going nickel or dime or something that's not base. And yeah. then you get the light box and you run. You run with Ramondre into the light box, which is ultimately what this team wants to do. Right. They want to try to spread the other, spread the defense out and then run between the tackles. Right now, defenses aren't really respecting that spread, but you put that much speed on the field, they're going to have to do it. And then you create a mismatch and you create opportunities. So I'm not, you know, Taekwon should play. That's not to say Marcus Jones shouldn't. I'm all for putting them both on the field and just see how the defense reacts. Just see, because right. I'd be really interested to see how a defense would react to that. Well, this is the thing that you talk about as far or we've talked about. We've said it from a media perspective all season. The, they're too predictable on offense. Then yeah. the players start saying it. We're too predictable. They know what we're running. You talk about CJ Mosley and uh, who else? Was it someone on the Ravens? Must have been Shaq Leonard, right? No, it was the Colts. Oh, it was. It was Shaq Leonard. Yeah, it was. It was. Okay, it was, yeah. It was Shaq Leonard. Then it was CJ Mosley with the Jets. Um, so the offense is play, saying it themselves. So what happened? I remember that came out after the Colts game. 
Yeah. They played the Jets the week before, yeah. and then some, and somebody was like, oh, it also happened last week. Yeah. Belichick said it Belichick himself. He was like, yeah, right. Mosley. Mosley was calling right. our stuff too. So you have your own guy saying it, but now you have Vance Joseph saying it. Look, we know what they do. They're predictable. This is when not A, not having an offensive coordinator is crucial because offensive coordinators know how to game plan and pick their mismatches and pick their spots. The Patriots don't have that. But now that they're saying it too, this is the time where you need to, you know, bring them bring something else at them it's a good week to do it with uh yeah with the arizona because their their corners are not very good and so. I, no i i think you just kind of dance around something that's a big point can matt patricia will matt patricia take what vance joseph said today personally i would right. hope so i mean that's yeah that's bulletin board material like you read about yeah it is right i and we'll see how the players react because again we don't know what the players might be looking at that and be like yeah he's right yeah you know, i know are they gonna back matt patricia and be like no we got you man like i think to an extent they will obviously yeah. but is matt patricia gonna take it personally is he gonna get in the lab and maybe do some things that make him uncomfortable but you know do they come out spread it out throw the ball and you know hey how's this for a defensive guy that's like that's but i don't if, even if, know if that guy knows how to get into the lab as an and I, I guess well <laughs> so getting into the lab could be Going to a guy like Troy Brown, going to a guy like Nick Cayley. Yeah. Maybe you call up, you know, I guess not Josh McDaniels, obviously. He's on another team, but maybe you call Weiss. up Dante Skarnecchia. Maybe you call up Charlie Weiss, right? Maybe you call up Bill O'Brien. Hey, you got anything for me this week? Like, if the Patriots yeah. win this game, I, if, or let me rephrase this. If after the game, we're sitting there saying, like, Matt Patricia showed Vance Joseph, like, took that quote and shoved it back at Vance Joseph. The Patriots probably won the game. Right. If Matt Patricia can prove these comments wrong, the Patriots should win this game. Right. I'm with you. Let's talk D. Fence. Sounds obvious. D. Number one. Fence. Fence. D. Fe yeah, all right, whatever. You know, I have the D and the fence signs. You know, you, yeah. you get it. Um, yeah. Sounds obvious. Number one priority is containing Kyler Murray. They've struggled against rushing quarterbacks this season. 0-3 um, against Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, and Josh Allen. Murray has 415 rushing yards this season and three touchdowns on the ground. He's actually only seventh among rushing quarterbacks this season, but he's also missed a few games, and Arizona hasn't ran him as much this season. Um, but, you know, they contain Josh Allen, even though jo as far as a runner, he, he killed him as a passer and they lost. But Jackson ran for 107 and Fields ran for 82. So if Kingsbury's smart, they'll scheme it up and let Kyler run the ball. Um, and... I think that's the name of the game here. DeAndre Hopkins missed today with an illness. He'll probably play. I, I, that's just me assuming that he gets the run illness by Monday. Uh, Rondell Moore also didn't practice today. So their receiver room's banged up. It, it's, their receiver room's kind of been in flux all season with Hopkins' uh, suspension. Rondell Moore's been on and off the field, so has Hollywood Brown. But, again, I think the name of the game here is containing Murray because they've struggled so much this season against mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and, and it's kind of interesting because the Cardinals want to throw the ball down the field. They don't use that short to intermediate between the numbers, between the hashes part of the field. But at the same time, you kind of want a guy there in case Kyler's going to run, right? If you vacate right. that area in coverage, Kyler's going to take off every time. So it's a big spy game. You know, maybe it's Kyle Duggar. Kyler's fast. Yeah, he is. In the past, they've used, like, when, they when they've played Lamar in the past, right? Jonathan Jones has been a spy. I, I don't know that you can use him as a spy in this game just because the Cardinals have so much speed on the perimeter, yeah. so much speed. I wonder if they use Marcus Jones as a spy. Like, I don't hate it. 
It makes sense. He's a, that could be an interesting one. But the biggest thing for me, it's just all the speed, really, beyond Kyler. I mean, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown's a burner. Rondale Moore's a burner. They also have Robbie Anderson. Don't forget, he can obviously run. And then they got two good contested catchers. DeAndre Hopkins is good at everything. I shouldn't call him a contested right. catcher. He was good at everything. And AJ Green still makes some plays for them at whatever he is, 70 years old. But yeah. <laughs> no, no disrespect to AJ Green. A great player. AJ right. Green in his prime was elite. Hall elite, of Famer. But, oh, uh, eh. Probably he'll make it. Yeah, yeah. He I, was in a, he was know. in that a, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, at his peak, he was in that class with them. I don't know how long he was at that peak, though, right? Like, I'd have to go back and look. Was he – he also did it with Andy Dalton, right? Like, yeah. both of those guys did it with, I guess, potential. Like, Ben's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Matt Ryan is an MVP, so he's at least borderline. Yeah. A.J. Green did it with Andy Dalton. But anyway, a lot of speed. A lot of speed on, yeah. on this offense in speed kills. Speed sometimes beats skill. So this is, again, another big game for Marcus Jones. You want to see him on the field. Jonathan Jones, a big game for him. I actually think in terms of the coverage matchups, right? Yeah, let's get into that. That was going to be my next thing. Yeah, I, I I, think this is a game where you have to look beyond, all right, R1 on their one, R2 on their two, because you can't put – as good as he's been this year, and he's been good, you can't put 5'8 Jonathan Jones on DeAndre Hopkins. It's just Well, right, you can't. And last week, Jonathan Jones kind of got himself dusted by Stefan Diggs. So I, I know that, you know, Hopkins isn't what he was, I guess, at his peak, but he's – I shouldn't say that. He's still been awesome this year once he's been – Oh, no, he's injured. still – he's still – he's their leading receiver, and he missed five games. No, he's still right. excellent. So I, I, don't, I don't see John Jones, you know – being up to the task on him this week. So I, I agree with you. And, and and then on the other side, you have Hollywood Brown, who is incredibly fast and not as big. So like that matchup makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Ideally, I think you go Jalen Mills on Hopkins with help over the top. Yeah. Now, if Jalen Mills isn't healthy. True. I, you're probably talking about Jack Jones, which a rookie on Hopkins is scary, but yeah, this feels like the Patriots loved when, when they had that true shutdown corner. Like this was always the game plan with Darrell Rivas, and it worked incredibly well. They put Rivas on, or not with Darrell. Sorry, they did after Rivas. Um, they did this with Malcolm Butler. They did it at times with J.C. Jackson. I, they did no it with more. Steph. Yep. They, they never really did it with Rivas. The one guy they didn't do it with. I don't know why I said that, but you put your number one guy on the number two wide receiver with the assumption that he's just going to take him out of the game. He's right. just going to eliminate him, and then on on the other on the number one receiver. You go your number two with help. And yep. you basically, you're going to try to double that guy, take that guy away. You hope your number one can take the number two assignment away and you force the quarterback to beat you with, with, with secondary options. That was that, when you had your elite number one, though, and it was also top-level Devin McCourty. Where I yeah. love Dev. Dev's awesome, but he's he's not who he was at, as a safety. I don't know that it works as well this week. It certainly helps that they don't have Zach Ertz to worry about, right? right. He's hurt. Yeah. And Trey McBride's not bad, but... He's a rookie, I, though. He hasn't done much right. for them. It's yeah. I think this is one of those games where you go the you go with that old school game plan. Put Jonathan Jones on Hollywood Brown. That should be a, a pretty strong advantage for Jonathan Jones, I would think. And yeah. then whether it's Jack Jones or Jalen Mills or whoever, with you know, throw throw multiple safeties at him. Throw Duggar, McCourty, Phillips, everybody at him, and you just you hope he doesn't burn you too bad. I, I think that's. That's got to be the game plan. And then Rondo Moore in the slot on Miles Bryant or Marcus Jones or whoever, and you have that spy on, on Kyler Murray. But 
I don't, I don't think you can put Jonathan Jones on DeAndre Hopkins on an island. And that's not a knock on Jonathan Jones. It's just, it's not a good matchup. And Bill said Hopkins is as good as anybody's coached against at wide receiver. And he's coached against Moss. He's coached against Owens. I, I don't know if he meant head coach, but if we go back to the Giants, he coached against Rice. So like, yeah. I, it's funny. It's not quite comparing Chase Claypool to Rob Gronkowski, which he did earlier this year, which was weird. Yeah. But that was just a shot at Gronk because him and those who don't get along. Yeah, that it, <laughs> you might be right, but uh, I, I don't think Jonathan Jones, the, the Hawkins, it's just it's a mismatch. It's not that Jonathan Jones isn't a good player. It's a it's a fundamental mismatch. Right. Agreed. And again, you talk about uh, touched on it a little bit, but Jalen Mills did not practice today with a groin injury. Um, he's been. He's been dealing with leg injuries all season long. He had the hammy for a while, and now he's got the groin. Um, was in the locker room after uh, after practice, but he did not practice. So, again, we'll see what happens there. But that would be a big a big loss because if you can at least put an experienced guy like Jalen Mills on DeAndre Hopkins to to give him a little bit of trouble, right? But if he can't go and it's Jack Jones on him, that's that's a disaster, right? Because we've seen Jack Jones; he's a playmaker, but he's kind of got. Uh, He's got his ankles broken a few times this season. Um, luckily, he hasn't been burnt too bad, right? But um, there's times where he's not consistent. And again, if if Hopkins sees that it's Jack Jones on him, he's gonna he's gonna cook him. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but that's sort of that's I, I agree with you in a sense that in a sense that that's the way you have to match it up because I also I mentioned it, but I don't trust I don't trust John Jones on the one like I did earlier in the season only because of. And again, I think it. it I think it depends just, on the one. It it depends on the one. It depends on the matchup because, for him. Yeah, it is. But and, and next talk, week too, like you know, right. with Devontae Adams, who I actually yeah. think is is better than like Hopkins. They're both top five. Yeah, but I take uh, Adams. Yeah, I think so too. But um, you know, when you get into when we get a little later, like Tyree Kill, right? I'm yeah. fine with John Jones on Tyree Kill. Hundred percent. Yeah, that matchup makes a lot more sense. Right, it's the speed this, and size thing. Definitely, right. it's just not the matchup. And yeah. this is where it goes back to camp. We talked about them not having enough big cornerbacks. This is where right. them not having enough big cornerbacks hurts them. What's Terrence Mitchell up to these days? So on the tight, he's like playing decently for the tight. Is he really? He Good wasn't that. He wasn't a big corner though. No, I know. I'm just. I was just thinking of our camp. Yeah. Our camp cornerbacks. Oh um, yeah. So yeah. Again, you know, I'm. He had I'm just looking... the other day. I saw in red zone. I was like, ah, Terrence Mitchell. He was. A, he was a fun guy to talk. Remember, he was the first one on the field yeah. like, every single week. Yeah, 39. Um, he was out there every day. Yeah, he, he has a pick and three, four pass breakups this year. Making it work. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Um, just looking at my notes for the offense, I mean, James Conner is their back. You asked um, you asked Judon about him today. He mentioned that I, I sort of put it together um, when he was like, yeah, I've played against him a lot. They played against each other when he was with Baltimore and Conner was on the right. Steelers for those times. Um He's only averaging 3.9 yards a carry this year. He was really good last year. He was a touchdown touchdown machine. But when talking about the air raid offense with Dev today, um, they don't seem to rely on their run game too much. So I think that I don't see James Conner and their run game being an issue against this Patriots team. Um, but, I mean, what do you think about, you know, Arizona and their run game? I think if they're running the ball, it's a win for the Patriots. Yeah. Right? They're because they want to be you with the pass. And... Right. Right. Connor's a good back. He's he's yeah. hard to tackle. He he's in yeah, he's and big. Judon kind of said that at the end of his answer, but yeah, big guy, good leg drive, good motor, all of that. You know, kind of runs like Ramondre runs. I'm not saying he's the same player, but you know, like Ramondre just doesn't quit on a play. 
right? James Conner's got that same thing where he, it, the play's not over until you get him to the ground and the whistle blows. Like he'll keep right. going. So if, if they can get him at the point of attack and, and, you know, swarm to the ball, I think you can limit his impact. And this could be a game where he runs for 110 yards and we say the Patriots defense won, right? right. Because if, if the Cardinals have to run it that much, uh, it means they're the Patriots are doing something right. They're limiting Kyler Murray's ability to run the ball. They're keeping things covered. But the big thing is you can't let him turn, you know, a three-yard run into a seven-yard run, a four-yard right. run into a 12-yard run. Like that's where the Cardinals running game gets dangerous is when James Conner gets going, starts giving those body blows, and then you get late in the game, the defense is worn out. He is kind of like Ramondre. Like I think Ramondre is better, but – yeah. They're the same type of player, same the skill same type of back. And he'll, when I say like, do it, I don't just mean this in the run game. They'll, they'll swing the ball out to him. They'll check it down to him. They'll run him on screens. Like he does a lot. So you worry about the same types of things with him as you do with Ramondre. Right. Get him down at the point, like get him down. If you get him down at the point of attack, there's not much and no doubt. Like you tackle, but he's not a burner. He's not a guy that like, if he gets to the edge, you can take the ball 80 yards down the field. He's not the fastest right. back, but when you don't tackle him, he he's able to make the most of that. So you got to you got to swarm to the ball, get him down to the point of attack, and and limit his yards after contact. Right. Um, anything more on the defense before we put a bow in this thing? Specifically, just kind I mean, of a big picture thing. Like, yeah, that's what I was going to get into. And, big picture. So let's hear it. So we'll we'll more start this conversation next week. Right. But I don't know if you saw the clip yesterday for cam jordan comparing josh uche's ghost move to von miller yeah and it's a good clip. i wrote about it on 985thesportshub.com kind of explained what the ghost move is you can check that out but just the idea like josh uche's kind of arrived here you know yep. since week what was that jets game week seven the first jets game i think it was yeah or week eight that sounds seven or eight somewhere in there Whatever that was, when he came back, he missed two games for injury. He came back two weeks before the bye. Well, the bye was week 10. This was week eight. He has seven sacks in his last five games. Yep. In that, with a bye in there. In that same span, only Nick Bosa has more sacks, and it's seven and a half. It's half a sack more. Like Josh Uche has been on a tear the last five weeks. And this is something that I talked about a lot in the offseason. It, when we talked about, you know, what can they do to avoid Judon falling off? It's not that they needed an elite pass rusher on the other side. It'd obviously be great, but right. you just need somebody to keep the defense honest where they can't put all their assets, all their resources towards blocking Matthew Judon. Somebody that if they're going to give him one-on-ones for 60 minutes, he's going to win those one-on-ones more often than not. Right. And that's who Josh Uche's been, which has been huge because it's taking pressure off of Judon. And I know that, he doesn't have a sack the last two weeks and people are pointing at that and saying, Hey, you know, it's just like last year we got to December and he, it's different. Like he, it is different. at the end of the le- year last year, Judon fell off the map. Like he, w- he was doing nothing. You didn't see him. You go back, you watch the tape. He didn't see him the last two weeks. He's been impactful. He it's not in the stat sheet, but he's pressuring the quarterback. He's pushing the pocket. Part of the that Judon sack, part of the reason that happened is 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 uh or sorry, the Uche, the strip sack on yeah. Josh Allen. Part of the reason that happened is Matthew Judon collapsed the pocket from the other side, and Josh Allen had delay before rolling out, and it kind of pushed him towards Uche, who's able to get there in time and enforce the strip. That all being said, 
All right, so why hasn't the pass rush been as good these last two weeks? There's still one piece short, and let me tell you this. If and when they get Christian Barmore back, mm-hmm. and you add him to Josh Uche on this hot streak and then Matthew Judon, they're going to be able to take it to another level. So he's not come back this week. He, he's eligible next week. I don't know if he's coming back or not next week. It's definitely something to watch. But getting Barmore back with Uche playing the way he is and Matt Judon being Matt Judon, like there's really big upside there for the pass rush. And if they're going to beat teams like the Bills, teams like the Bengals, I'll even put the Raiders in there because the Raiders kind of rule now. The Raiders have been nasty the last couple Yeah, they have. If they're going to beat these teams, they have to get to the quarterback. And they're doing a good job of it. I think they could be great at it. And getting Matthew Judon back, I think, opens the door, makes it easier for them to be great at it. Because then it's that's three horses you got to worry about. You can't take the attention off any of those guys. So now either you're leaving six in to block, you're only sending four out into the pattern, which makes it easier on the secondary, or you're trusting guys to win one-on-one, which you shouldn't feel great about blocking any of those guys one-on-one. So I don't know how – I had a way to relate that back to this game, and I don't remember what it was. Honestly, at this point, but um, I, I, I mean, it's still a point. It's let's see. It's, if, let's see if Josh Uche can keep going. Let, let's right. see if you know he can keep keep this momentum building because if he's still like he was fine at the beginning of the year, he wasn't. He wasn't bad. He wasn't on this level until he came right. back from that injury. No, since he's come back from that injury, he's been dominant. If he can play at this level, when Christian and I, Barmore, Barmore was like they haven't. Uche, when Uche came back, Barmore was already hurt. So we haven't right. seen this Josh Uche on the field with Barmore and Judon. I really hope we get to see that because that could be real, really, really fun to watch. Well, it's it stinks to bring it up in week 14 because there's still, you know, five games left. But that could also be something you look forward to next season as well, right? You, oh, you yeah, fix, for sure. You fix the offense. You have Mac in a third year. You know, you get the offense you get on track. Contract you, year Josh Uche. Contract year Josh Uche, healthy Barmore again, third year Judon in the system. It's like, okay, now let's now we're cooking with gas. So uh that, that's a good big picture thing. And then it's also, like you said, you know, um it's the thing with, you know, you talk about Judon and not being great. They're also it seems like they, they've used him differently scheme wise. Um, especially last week against Josh Allen. They're not having him pit his ears back. They're kinda they're in contain mode. It's gonna be the same way with Mario this week. So if they continue to do that. Keep the attention on Judon. Uche is going to be a free runner again. Not a free runner, but, you know, the one-on-ones you talked about. And he could have another another good game. Um, yeah. My big picture thing here, really, um, is I think it comes down to coaching overall. Uh, I've, I've been a, a critic of the offensive coaching staff, but I think that Bill Belichick as a head coach versus Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach is such a massive, massive, massive advantage to them right now. I've been a Cliff Kingsbury fan since his days at, you know, Texas Tech with Johnny Manziel, or not uh, Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel, Texas Tech with Baker. You know, he's 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 runs a good college offense, and I was excited to see him in the pros, but he just doesn't cut it as an NFL head coach. Um, schematically, you know, or not schematically, but just kind of the the way he controls a sideline, it's not great. And I just think that it's it's such a huge advantage to Belichick this week that I think that, you know, that's something that's going to stand out this week. I think the Pats will – you can read my full um, 
game prediction on clnsmedia.com, but I ultimately think the Pats win this game in a low-scoring affair because I just think that they're going to be able to t- contain Kyler, and I think they're going to get just enough from the offense, and I think that's going to have that's going to come down to Belichick's coaching. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I mean, Kingsbury's a guy. They they already got one coach fired, right? Right, got fired after they played the Colts. If they win this game, there's a chance it's Kingsbury's last game in Arizona. Like, yeah. He's really on the hot seat there. So it, it's not like things are rolling for him either. Is Cliff Kingsbury the Patriots offensive coordinator in 2023? He'd be towards the top of my list. I, yeah, you know, he would. We kind of got to see where all where the dust settles and where the chips fall before we get into the offseason. I'm hesitant to put anybody at the top of my list yet because I'll say it, and then somebody I don't even know would be available comes free, and then I'll go, oh, no, but you said you wanted this yeah. guy. So. But uh, short list, short list. Cliff Kingsbury, yeah. if he gets fired, would definitely be on my short list. And I think he'd be great for Mac because it's, it's you know, three steps, get to that back foot and get the ball out. Right. And that's kind of the offense Mac ran in Alabama. It'd be a great fit for him. Yeah, it'd be good. Um, I see the chat going on. it. Um, I think that's it. Uh, do you have any more last thoughts on the, the Patriots before we get into some some sad, sad Boston sports news? Uh, I think that's it. All right. So again, Patriots play the Cardinals this Monday coming up. Uh, ESPN Monday Night Football. Patriots at Cardinals. The four and eight Cardinals. Both teams kind of, you know, playing on their last breath here in twenty twenty two. But uh, let's let's get to what everybody wants us to talk about here, and it's our Boston Sports Minute. And the reason that I'm talking in such a lull and sad and disappointed voice is because Xander Bogarts, the cornerstone, the franchise player, two time World Series MVP. You've heard it all day. He's gone. San Diego Padres. San Diego Padres, as some have said. Signs an 11-year, $280 million deal with the Padres. And it's a lot of money. It's a lot of years. He'll play there until he's 41. I hope he's still raking in his year 41 season. Because I, I get, you know, and I talked myself into it, Alex, as far as, you know, and this was before he even signed anywhere, but it was the, the idea of him signing elsewhere. You know, he is 30, and he's going to get a bag, and it's going to be long, and, you know, maybe they can deal. And you move Story out, and you bring in a second bit, blah, blah, blah. No, because the more you think about it and the more it's talked about, you read and you hear, they could have just freaking settled this thing in spring training, and they didn't do it. So Bogarts is gone, and I know you'll have a ton to say, but Devers is my last straw with this organization. If If Rafi Devers is not a Red Sox for life, you can take my fan card. I will never go to the stadium again. I'll never watch them again. Hold me to that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it was a great night last night with Celtics. You know, first of all, they make these great. things. Like they signed Kenley Jansen. They signed the Japanese guy. All right. Like, there's some momentum. Seriously. Bruins, Celtics, both blow doors against good. T- I know the abs are banged up. But the defending Stanley Cup champion in the NHL. Yep. Bogart's in the building the for the Celtics the NBA. Yeah, I mean it's it's all shaping up to be this great night, and then there it is, eleven two eighty, and okay, would it have been irresponsible for them to match eleven two eighty? Yeah, uh, like maybe I think people are a little too dug in on that. That's I still would have been these, fine with it. <laughs> that's the way these big contracts work. You, he's making two hundred eighty million dollars. They're paying him for eleven years to spread out the payments. Right. It's not like they plan on having him in their starting lineup for it's like when teams release guys, right? And buy guys out and they have to do the deferred payments, Bobby Benia. It's essentially a shorter way of doing that. They don't think he's going to be their starting shortstop at age 41, but they right. wanted to give him $280 million. 
and they didn't want to give him, you know, $28, $30 million a year. They wanted to budget it. So they throw those extra years on. If he's not playing, so what? Right? That being said, all right, you don't want to give him 11280. It should have never gotten to that point. That's the problem. That was the problem when they did this with John Lester, and that was the problem when they did this with Mookie Betts. The price only goes up, and they give these absolute bullshit. I, I, now YouTube's going to flag this. These Let's go. BS, <laughs> lowball offers that piss players off. They, they don't just not take them. They drive them away. They let them get to the open market where it becomes yep. a bidding war. You avoid these situations. What real big market teams do, outside of rare exceptions, Aaron Judge obviously being one, but he had a historic year. And they still brought him back, by the way. What real big market teams do is settle these before they get to free agency. You overpay the guy a little so he doesn't hit the open market versus having to overpay him by a lot when he does. But the Red Sox can't overpay anybody because they're the boss in Red Sox and they're above that. And it's, I, I, you saw it coming from a mile away. And you mentioned Raphael Devers. We're about three months out from them offering him, mm-hmm. I don't know, call it six five years, years 150 million. Yeah, yeah five <laughs> years, 150. He's going to go to free agency. His deal should start, start at 10, 300. I was going to say his 12, side. Like, yeah. Well, here's years. the thing. Once you get to that many years, and he's only 26, so I don't right. want to hear about age with him. And they'll have their excuse. It'll be his age or his weight or some BS analytics metric that nobody cares about as to why they can't pay him. Don't fall for it, please. But yep. the, the 10 or the 12 is irrelevant there. It's just, that comes down to the AAV. Right. He's going to say $300. You want to pay it to me over 10 years? You want to pay, pay it to me over 12 years? You want to pay it to me over one year? 300. This isn't like football where the right. contracts aren't fully guaranteed and we have to go into like, all right, well, it's guaranteed for the first two and then it's half guaranteed. No. 11 over 280 or 280 over 11 means 280 over 11, period. Right. Unless you buy it out, but you still have to pay out all that money, if not more. Right. So this is exactly what they do. And on one, I, I, I almost understand or not almost, I do understand why John Henry does this. The Red Sox print money. Those tourists from out of town don't care if the team is good or not. They're going to show up, pay $15 for a beer, sing Sweet Caroline, and John Henry's going to pocket it. So why spend money on the team if you can do it anyway? Well, because you own a sports team, and you should have some pride in your brand. That's why. Why own a team if you're not going to try to get them to win? And that's the part that blows my mind. If you want to just have an asset that increases in value and just churns out revenue, go buy real estate, John. Yep. That's what you're looking for. You're, you're, you're confusing owning a sports team with owning an apartment building. <laughs> right? Like, yep. so it's bananas. And I, I, I see people saying I'm fired up. I'm, the Red Sox mean a lot to me personally, to, you know, the, I, 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 I'm not going to bore everybody with my whole family background, but like, you know, um, when, when, bye, when Wayne, we don't want yeah, you here. If Wayne. you don't want us, we don't want you here. If you don't want to listen to us bitch about the Red Sox, the, you know, my family's been going to Red Sox games for 80 years now, probably. Sure. Right. Yep. Um, and it's, 
They're and they're a big part of this city. Mm-hmm. And to see them fall to this level, Red Sox fans should be furious because ownership thinks you're I'm Red Sox fans, I'm talking to you. Ownership thinks you're stupid. They think you're dumb enough that they can tell you Xander Bogarts is their top priority when he's not. Then get outbid by a team like the San Diego Padres. And you'll say, well, they tried. They said they tried. Xander didn't want to be here. Mookie didn't really want to be here. John Lester didn't really want to be here. They want to be here, but they also want what they're worth. Like, I'm not going to, I'm never going to fault a guy for that. Right. If the offers were what they were worth, right? If Xander turns down six over 160 in the spring, not now when he's on the open market, if he turns down six over 160 in in, in the spring, fine. You know what? He wanted to get over. That's fine. That's one thing. They never made him a real offer. Right. They never made him a real offer. And the Red Sox getting outbid by the San Diego Padres should be the canary in the coal mine because the Padres have been spending wise have been a joke for decades. And there was a quote today from one of the Padres writers, you know, that they, they, they're going to keep spending. And somebody asked well, how, the GM, how are you going to pay for it? And GM said, well, owner's a billionaire. Yep. John Henry is one of the richest owners in baseball. Don't let them tell you they can't afford it. They got, when they traded Mookie Betts, the explanation was we need to get under the luxury tax so we can pay Xander Bogarts and we can pay Raphael Devers. We're moving on from one to keep two. And I don't think that was necessarily true, but fine, fine. I would rather have, I think Mookie's a good player, but I'd rather have Bogarts and Devers than just Mookie Betts. I would, I would. But now they're going to have none. So why? Devers and- what was the point? Why did right. we do it? And they're not going to pay Devers. And by the way, Devers' price just went up because yeah. he wanted to be here with Bogarts. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres call on him next year. And don't let him hit the open market. So no. it's just it, – it, it, it's all just so avoidable. It's all just so avoidable. That's the thing. It's, it's so avoidable. And, and they lied the, the whole – they lied about it the whole time. Like, And, and the, te- the team's not going to be good. Like maybe they go out tomorrow and sign Correa, and I'm wrong. Fine, but but this is what they do. They they're, it's not even that they're cheap because then they throw good money after bad. They don't pay John Lester, and then they overpay David Price, and then because right. of that they have to trade Mookie Betts, and they get nobody in return, right. right? And then they overpay Chris Sale, and now they have, like so. It's it it's it, it, the only consolation here, and I know I'm kind of ranting. I'll I'll sort That's of try okay. to wrap it um, up here. I'm letting you go. I love it. The only consolation is that once they botched the Dever situation, he's gone. That's it. There's no more cornerstones to watch walk out the door. Right. There's no more homegrown players that that we watched grow up. And, and, and you know, that's it. That's it. That's it's awful. From John Lester, we've watched. Who's the last, like, cornerstone type player? Forget to finish his career here. Because I get it. Guys go and play elsewhere the last couple of years, right? Talking about guys like Paul Pierce, Vince Wilfork. That... Whatever, right? That's fine. That happens. Right. When's the last time a cornerstone guy played into his 30s here? It was Dustin Pedroia. That was 10 years ago. And cornerstone players don't come Uh, along often. What what do you talk about? Where do you put David Ortiz? He was, well, first of all, he's before Pedroia. And they made that guy. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. And they made him go year to year. Right. They made David Ortiz go year to year. Oh yeah, was Pedroia on the nineteen World Series team? I think technically he didn't play, but I think he was, he was. on the yeah. team. Oh, yeah, he might have played like three games. Okay. The point being, no, after yeah, that, at once they botched Devers, 
maybe Cassis pans out. Maybe Marcelo Mayer pans out. That's eight years down the road. So once Devers leaves, it's just, well, John, can John Henry sell the team in the next eight years? That's because there's no more cornerstones for them to take away until then. And hopefully in that time, in that decade, where they're going to be average as hell, he sells the team to somebody who actually gives a crap about it. Yep. You put it perfectly, Barth. I can't really, you know, add to it. Everything oh, sorry, let me it. add one more thing. I saw somebody Let's say in the chat. It. You can knock High and Bloom, and High and Bloom is not ab- above. Uh, um, he's not a- can... above criticism in all this. Sure. But High and Bloom is was, is doing what he was brought here to do. Right. They hired High and Bloom. This is what to, he does. Right to cut costs and manage the the budget and all of it. If they had fired Bloom because they didn't think he could handle the boat. Like if they fire bloom, they're going to bring in a clone, a guy who's going to do the exact same thing. So you can criticize high and bloom for not getting enough for Mookie vets. Totally fair. You can criticize high and bloom for not adding enough pitching last year and putting too much faith in, in Chris sale and James Paxson. Like that's all fair. High and blooms working with the budget that ownership gives him. Right. He's not like, you ideally want a GM who every once in a while goes to ownership and says, Hey, look, I know you're saying we can only spend this much on this player, but this is the Boston Red Sox and we need to open up the checkbook on this one. But any GM who will say that isn't going to be a candidate with this ownership right. group. So not to, not to totally let bloom off the hook. I don't think he should be, but I, if you're putting this totally on him, you're, you're letting the people actually at fault get away free. Well, that's the thing. If you, if Bloom, we don't know if Bloom really wanted to say shell out and match. So the rumor is that Bogarts came back and, you know, asked if they wanted to give a better offer before he signed with San Diego. In theory, let's say Bloom, as a general manager, wanted to shell out 11 years, 280. Ownership still wouldn't have let him do it. So whether it's his fault or not, it it ends up coming down to ownership here anyway. And it's a travesty. And like you said... It's too bad for Boston fans because we got a lot of good things going right now with the Celtics and the Bruins. And say what you will about the Patriots, but they're now not the most hated team in Boston uh, because the, the Red Sox are such a dumpster fire. And uh, that's that's sort of where we're at, right? I don't know if you uh, – again, you talk about guys like Carlos Correa or Dansby Swanson. You know, you, you might bring in a shortstop here. It kind of it feels redundant. Um, if you, you swap out Borgards, you weren't going to pay him, but you pay one of these other guys because I think he's the best player out of the three. Um, but if you end up just bumping Trevor Story over, you still have a middle infield problem because then you're putting Christian Arroyo at second base. If that's your, it's just it. There's a clear hole that they just let go, and they have to fill it somehow. And I don't know right. if they will. Well, because um, they would rather spend the 160 million on three middle tier players than one good player. That's kind of right. their philosophy, and. Uh, that they're going to go out and get an average second baseman and an average center fielder and probably an average starting pitcher. And they'll say those three guys value will equal Bogarts and they just won't. They like maybe metrically in war, whatever they will, but they, in the real world, not in computers, they won't. And I like, again, it just sucks because when the Red Sox are in it, this city's like the buzz is real and being at Fenway in August, in September, when the Red Sox are making a run is such a great feeling. Like there's nothing like it. Right. And 
we all want that. And, and you're not necessarily going to be a contender every single year, but Heim Bloom came in talking about how he wants it. And, and this is honestly why I liked Heim Bloom in the beginning. He said he wants team to be good both in the present and in the future. He doesn't want to abandon the future view. And I think that's great, but man, the future's got to start sometime. Right? right. And and right now it looks like they're essentially setting up for another rebuild here. And I, we just all want to be back at Fenway having fun again and watching a team that's 10 games under 500 and out of the playoffs by July. It's not the same. It's, well, you talk it's, about, it's not the same. Right. And you talk about, and then we'll wrap this thing up, but you know, you talk about being a fan of the Red Sox, right? I talk about this with uh, my girlfriend's dad all the time because the two of us go from the Red Sox are awesome when they win three games to they stink and we're never going to watch them again. And we talk, we talk about it all the time, right? This is one of those things where, at least for myself, I truly feel like if they don't do this with Devers, it's going to completely steer me away from the team because it's just, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta adhere to the fans at some point. I get it's a business, but if you don't have fans anymore to, to eat the Fenway Franks and drink the fifteen dollar beers, and people well, that's are the still going go, they know they have the tourists but... and the pink hats, and people want to go sing Ugh. Sweet Caroline and put it on their Instagram story. They mm-hmm. don't care what the team's <laughs> record is, and those are the people that are bailing ownership out. Ownership's playing them like puppets, and it's sad. But yep. I'll tell you, eventually, in, in in a sport like baseball where those fans are fleeting quickly guys that have, and this is where I mean, part of the reason, I mean, those guys won't replace Bogarts. Bogarts is he's, he's part of the city, right? Guy like Dustin Majori, a guy like David Ortiz, part right. of the city. When you're churning these guys out and like, even if they sign Correa, he doesn't necessarily have that brand recognition in Boston. That a guy like Xander no. Bogarts does. He's known as That's, a cheater in Boston. He's those, known as yeah, a trash like banging cheater, right? Those, those cornerstone players, your connection in the city and they just don't, seem to care about having a connection to the city. That's what this all boils down to. They don't seem to care about the fans. They, I I think they think very little of the fans. And it's again, I said it at the beginning, if you're just going to own a sports team to collect the gate, regardless of whether the team's competitive or not, go invest in real estate Uh because have some freaking pride in the product you're putting out there. At least, at least have a little pride in the product your name's attached to, but that's too much to ask for from this ownership group. It's, it's fun to air it out on John Henry. Um, yeah. I needed that. <laughs> we could, I, I was going to say we could do it. I'm sure you, you, you and Trags might rip it up on Red Sox beat at some point with an emergency podcast. Who knows? But yeah. uh, let's, let's wrap this thing up because this is Patriots beat and we talk about football. So I know we just did a, a probably a 25 minute Boston sports minute, but uh, let's quickly wrap this <laughs> up right. with Thursday night football because it's Thursday. Raiders are at Rams. The Raiders are six and a half point favorites in LA. Um, I haven't looked at Twitter uh, over the last hour, but um, before we hopped on, Baker Mayfield had been taking all of the Rams starters reps during warmups tonight. Baker just got there on Tuesday, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Um, so again, we talk about jet lag with the guy like Jacoby Myers and the Rams are going to go from winning a Super Bowl in February to starting a still jet-lagged Baker Mayfield in a number 17 jersey for a 3-9 and Rams team in the matter of 12 months. So not great stuff for the Rams, but I'm going to make my pick, and I'm going to say the Rams cover 6.5. I want to take it first because I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. I do think there's still something there with him. He's competitive. He has a good arm. 
If he's healthy, he can be solid. I don't know if they're going to win. I don't know what kind of playbook they're running with him in there, but I'm going to take Rams plus six and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the, uh, I, I think the Raiders cover. The Raiders. I think they cover. I, right. I think they blow doors tonight. I, you know, Josh McDaniels, this is his tune up before his Super Bowl against his former yeah. boss. That Rams team has quit. Uh, I think Jalen Ramsey's taking a massive step back this year. I think there's a real chance Devontae Adams takes this game over. Yeah. Um, if the Raiders don't cover, it's because Baker Mayfield came out and it's kind of his game to prove to, right? Um, right. Raiders are scoring in the high 30s, low 40s tonight. We'll see whether or not the Rams keep up. That would kind of be my question. I don't think they yeah. do. Like you said, Baker Mayfield just got there, jet lag, new to the offense, does have chemistry with the receivers. I think it could be tough for them to move the ball. Maybe they figure something out and they score, but the Raiders are lighting the scoreboard up tonight. I feel good about that. Well, that's our picks. Again, I, I don't I don't know if the Rams will win. I think they can cover, but we'll see what happens. Um, back to the Pats because that's what we cover. The Patriots are in Arizona on Monday Night Football. Uh, me and Alex will be back on Patriots Beat early next week, uh, probably Tuesday, to break that thing down. Uh, until then, follow Alex on Twitter, at RealAlexBar, stuff at 985thesportshub.com. Uh, you can do the same for me. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Cadlick. Read my stuff on clnsmedia.com. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday to break down Patriots first Cardinals. Uh, until then, thank you all for watching. Thanks for putting up with our uh, complaining about the Red Sox here, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>